Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. Today is episode 253. It's December 4th, 2017. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, in today's episode, we're not going to talk about the stock market or any type of investing. I want to carry on our career theme that I have from time to time. Haven't talked about jobs or being an employee or being an entrepreneur in quite a few episodes. I know some of you have gotten in touch with me and said, hey, where are the entrepreneurial or career episodes? Well, we'll do one today and maybe before the year's out, we can get some more in because I'd like you to be thinking about earning more money in 2018. And the best way to do that for most of us is through our day-to-day jobs. And that's whether we're paid by an employer or whether we're self-employed. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about why employees are never paid what they're worth. We'll get to that in a minute. Before we do, I want to mention that I added to my two positions in international stocks and emerging markets. As always, I posted that over at investablewealth.com. If you're subscribed to those free blog post uh, notifications and buy sell alerts, then hopefully you received an email telling you about it. Ah, From time to time, those bulk emails get a little clustered and don't always go out the way they should. But hey, what do you want for free? In any case, every blog post that I've ever written since 2013 is available in the archives over at the observations and commentary section of investablewealth.com. So if you don't receive an email, you can always go there and scroll through the many topics. You can also search on terms or you can sort things based on categories like trades or a variety of other topics. In any case, let's talk about your career. And what I'm going to talk about today is applicable whether you are or you want to be an entrepreneur or whether you're just someone that works for a corporation or for another company and you're very much happy being an employee. You know, I meet a lot of people that say, Hey, John, you always talk about entrepreneurship. You always try and steer people in that direction. But they say that, hey, they are employed. They're happy. They they like their boss. They receive good benefits. They're paid very well. And so they ask me, well, why would they want to be an entrepreneur? And in that case, listen, if you're happy where you're working, if you've got a good boss, if they're paying you well, if you have a good benefits package, then by all means, stay where you're at. Don't quit your day job. Being an entrepreneur isn't all it's cracked up to be. It's hard work. There are no guaranteed incomes. There are absolutely no benefits unless you can provide them for yourself out of the profits that your entrepreneurial enterprise creates. I mean, there is a whole lot of risk in being an entrepreneur. So if you're someplace where you're happy and you're satisfied, then don't plan to leave. Remember, just like investing, where I talk about the best investment strategy is the one that works for you. Well, the best employment situation is the one that you enjoy and the one that works for you. Don't think you have to go out and jump into the latest franchise or the latest multi-level marketing you know, thing that's going around or that you need to go out and start some kind of business because everybody else is talking about it. That's the worst thing you can do. So in today's episode, I am going to talk about the benefits of being an entrepreneur. I'm going to touch on that. But really what I'm going to talk about is relevant to both people that are employed by a company or those that are self-employed. Because what I'm going to talk about is how you get paid. And so whether the man is paying you or whether you're underwriting your own paycheck, the three things I'm going to talk about today are relevant to you. Now before I cover the three things that are critical to your income, I want to talk a little bit about the title of today's episode. And that's that employees are never paid what they're worth. You'll hear people complaining all the time about how they're not paid what they're worth. 
you know, whether they're making minimum wage or whether they're making $500,000 a year, no one thinks they're being paid what they're worth. And that's absolutely true. And you see, knowing that eternal truth, that an employee is never paid what they're worth, is important for you to understand because it doesn't matter what kind of legislation the government passes or it doesn't matter what type of contract your union negotiates for you or it doesn't matter what you can go out and negotiate yourself from your employer. The bottom line is, if you're an employee and you're working for someone else, you are never, ever, ever going to be paid what you're worth. Now, the only caveat I'll put to that, I'll add a little statement on there saying, over the long run. Yeah, short term, you may get paid more than what you're worth. But that's only in the short term. Over the long term, no employer can afford to pay an employee more than what they're worth. So as an employee, if your productivity level is such that you're producing X amount of products or services, then that amount that you're producing must be more than what your boss is paying you. Otherwise, you're losing money for your employer. And over the long run, your employer is going to figure that out and they're going to fire you and either replace you with automation or with a more productive employee. That's the bottom line. If you go read my book, The Robots Are Coming, it's not a gloom and doom book about how the robots are going to come in and take everybody's job. In fact, automation has already pretty much been doing that over the last 50 years. In the United States, manly type jobs, if you think of the big strong man kind of jobs like construction or labor type jobs that involve big burly strong men, those type of jobs reached their peak in the United States back in about 1957. And as far as overall manufacturing jobs, you know, regardless of whether our current president or another politician promises to bring all these manufacturing jobs back to America, I got news for you. Manufacturing jobs in this country peaked in 1979. Now, that doesn't mean that this country doesn't manufacture a lot, and it doesn't mean that going forward, we're not going to manufacture a lot more. In fact, I think that North America is going to go through a manufacturing renaissance, and again, this is something that I talk about in my book. From Alaska all the way down to southern Mexico, this continent that we live on is full of resources, including abundantly inexpensive labor and energy and technology. And when you combine those all together... Going forward, as automation and technology get better, and as we have cheap and abundant energy, then employees are going to become more productive, and the United States is going to become a major manufacturing hub. That's bad news for places like China. And it's not necessarily good news for the American employee, because manufacturing jobs are not going to necessarily increase, just like they haven't increased since 1979. But what has increased is worker productivity. And because of that, manufacturing output in the United States continues to increase. We manufacture more than we ever have in the past. And while worker wages may not go up, corporate profits will. Ah, but I digress. Listen, if you haven't read the book, The Robots Are Coming, A Human Survival Guide to Profiting in the Age of Automation, then go out and get it. You can buy it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's pretty much everywhere. There's a link in today's show notes. If you don't want to buy it, go get it from your library. But here's the bottom line on employment, whether you're working as a CEO or a common laborer. The company will always underpay you because they're never, over the long term, going to pay you more than your productivity. So if you're producing $100 an hour, well, they're only going to pay you 
$80 an hour, $70 an hour, or $40 an hour, whatever the minimum is that they can get away with paying you. Because the difference between your total compensation package, that's what you earn, and the taxes they have to pay, and the benefit package they have to offer you, whatever your total compensation package is, your employer has to make more than that because your employer is in this for a profit. They're not out there doing the Lord's work. They don't care if you have a job. They only employ you to the extent you make them money. The reason that I talk so much about being an entrepreneur and that I want people to consider working for themselves is exactly because of the fact that you're never going to be paid what you're worth as an employee. But if you're working for yourself, if you own the company that you work for, then all of your productivity can be paid back to you because you'll be paying yourself not only as an employee, but also as the owner of the company. You'll capture the earned income as well as the dividend income. And depending upon how productive you are, that can be a huge compensation difference. So from a compensation standpoint, being your own boss, you'll always make more than what you would have made as an employee as long as you can put together a business enterprise that capitalizes on your productivity. And if you factor in the market worth of that enterprise that you create, then your net worth can really expand exponentially. That's why people that are self-employed are more likely to become financially independent than someone that's simply an employee. Now, again, it comes with a lot of risks. It isn't for everybody. I'm not going to get into all that today. I just want you to remember that as an employee, you're never going to be paid what you're worth. But if you do want to make more money, whether you're working for the man or whether you're working for yourself, then you need to focus on these three critical areas. Because everybody's compensation can be tied back to three things. Number one is the amount of time that it takes to become trained for whatever kind of position you're going to be in. Number two is the high level of skill that you can bring to that position that you personally. And number three is market demand or the value that the market puts on this product or service that you're creating. So let's talk about each of those briefly. Number one, training. If you can train to do a job in a few hours or a few days, then most likely that's a very low-skilled job. That's something that you might find in a fast food restaurant. And so consequently, you will be hard-pressed to ever make more than minimum wage because your boss can always fire you and hire someone off the street. And in a couple hours or a couple days, they can bring them up to the same skill level that you're at. And so when you're looking for careers to go into or jobs or positions that you want to have, look at those that require higher amounts of learning or higher amounts of skill. It doesn't necessarily have to be formal learning. Obviously, if you want to be a brain surgeon, you've got to go to school for a long time and your overall training and internship is going to compromise decades or more. And so that's why brain surgeons and heart surgeons and people like that make so much money. You can't just take somebody off the street and in a couple hours teach them what to do. Ah, but as technology improves, a lot of these high-paid people are going to find themselves out of work because we will be able to use automation to replace high-skilled people, but that's the subject of my book, so we won't talk about that today. But remember, number one, training is crucial. The harder it is to acquire the skills to be able to do the job that you want to do, the more you'll be paid for it. Number two, it's the skill level itself. How well do you actually perform that skill? Just because you went to school 
doesn't mean anything if you can't perform the task or if you can only perform the task as good as everybody else. You know, just because you have a law degree doesn't make you Perry Mason. Just because you know how to mix up mortar doesn't make you a master bricklayer. And this is where your own God-given talents and abilities come in. You want to go into careers and into jobs where you can be better than everybody else. And it's not because you're arrogant about it, or it's not because you studied or worked harder than anybody else. It's because you have the genetic makeup that makes you better at it. That's why certain people become basketball players, or entertainers, or musicians, or CEOs. They have the talent, they have the genetic structure that allows them to function in that particular area of their interest. I'm an amazing money manager, but I would be a lousy baseball player. I can't sing a song to save my life, so I wouldn't be a good musician. I couldn't hit a golf ball with a sledgehammer. You see, there's many things in life I can't do, either because I don't have the genetic makeup physically to do them, or because I don't have the genetic makeup mentally or emotionally or from a desire standpoint, to want to do those things. And so it would be futile. It would be stupid for me to pursue a career that I won't be as best as I can be at. Don't waste your time going out and getting an education for something that you're just going to be mediocre at. Focus on what you have the natural abilities to do and what you can do better than anybody else, or certainly at least better than the average person, because the degree that you're going to be compensated is going to be based on your personal productivity. So personal skill level is extremely important. And then finally, the third thing is really out of your control, but you should be studying this and looking to the effect that the market has on the job or the position that you want to hold. You know, just because you have a PhD in 14th century French literature, and just because you happen to be the best in that field in the whole world, doesn't mean you're going to make any money because there might not be a market for experts in French literature from a couple hundred years ago. I don't know if there is or not. Maybe you can put together a YouTube channel, right? Maybe there can be a niche market for you. But the point is, the tighter that niche is, the smaller the demand and the less money you can make. Again, this is something I cover in my book, The Robots Are Coming, where I give you some little exercises to think about where you can drill down and say, hey, I want to make $100,000 a year. That means my total compensation has to be, you know, 130 or 140,000 after I pay all the benefits and all the overhead and things like that. And then this is how much I can expect to make per job or per item or whatever it is. And then you drill down to is there a market for that? If there isn't a demand for what you've studied for and what you're good at, well, you're never going to pay your student loans back because you're going to be working as a barista. So focus on those three things. Number one, what is a hard skill to learn? Number two, what skill are you better at than the average person? And finally, number three, what products and services can that skill create that the market wants to purchase? Those are three really simple things. If you're the average person, you've never heard them before, you were never taught those at school, but that's the bottom line. People that can maximize those three things are employees that are paid more than the average person, And for that employee that can figure out how to go out and put together their own business model and become an entrepreneur, they'll be compensated even more. That's how easy it is. But although it's easy, it's not simple. Well, hey, I want to close out just mentioning that in the previous episode, I ended with a song. And in the show notes, I mentioned that if you could identify that song, whoever the first person was that would do that, I would send them out a free autographed copy of my book. 
Steve from Michigan was the first person I heard from. So the book went out in the mail today to Steve. He properly identified that song as the theme song from Gomer Pyle. And the reason I played it was because last week, Jim Neighbors, the actor that portrayed Gomer Pyle, he passed away. So there you have it. Today, since we're talking about jobs and careers, then it only makes sense that Johnny Paycheck takes us out. <laughs> 